talk. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of You Talk Too Much and I'm here with my guest today Dinah and I'll just get her to introduce herself. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is uh, Denisha, everyone calls me Dina but if you look me up my name is Denisha Paisley and um, I am, uh, my background I've worked as a, a social worker and a therapist. I also worked for a while as a school counselor and that's kind of where I I know we're talking about restorative practices or restorative justice today and that's where my foundation um, and restorative justice comes from um, I currently work for a university UCLA um, in Los Angeles as a trauma-informed trainer and I also do some community work with restorative practices um, in different cities around the U.S. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Dinah. So tell us a bit about your background, like how you grew up, where you grew up. Yeah, so I um, I actually grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I grew up in a like a lower lower class, like lower socioeconomic um, neighbor environment or community. And um, I attended public schools. We didn't have a lot of money at all, but you know, my mom really never let me feel the impact of it. It's kind of like, you know, um, our parents can be a buffer, how adults in our life can be a buffer. So poverty existed, you know, community violence existed, but my mom was definitely a buffer. So I didn't even know we were poor. <laughs> like I thought we were fine. Um, and I, um, so I, I excelled in school. I did really well, which led me to get scholarships. And then I was able to go to college and I went to um, college and then I went to graduate school. So I have two master's degrees mm. and um, hopefully I'll be going back for a doctorate soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for accepting. So I just follow you on social media and I'm really <laughs> humbled that you've accepted this invitation. Uh, I, I like I shared it to you. So I don't know if a lot of Americans know this, but everywhere around the world, we look up to America and everything. So, yeah. So like with when BLM was happening, um, my I come from South Auckland and we're known as the lowest socioeconomic one of the lowest socioeconomic areas in New Zealand but um I try and explain to people because I've traveled around the world and people don't understand like Americans don't understand especially like black Americans don't understand how you guys have you know helped create identity for all kinds of marginalized people around the world so yeah so like um i'm polynesian so ethnically polynesian so you know the rock is Samoan. i'm not Samoan. i'm tongan but we come from a similar with similar racial group so that's how i try and explain polynesians to people from overseas because they don't know you know anything um but I say because I'm first generation New Zealander and I grew up in an urban city. So a lot of my community, my age, identified more with black, so-called black mm -hmm. culture than with their own cultural oh, wow. back. Yeah. So it's, it's, I grew up with people like <laughs> that, you know, um, identified a lot with hip hop, identified, um, but yeah, with like TV shows I grew up with, Family Matters, um yeah Martin <laughs> like but it was because you guys your community is the only community we could see that wasn't white 
that was in oh, the wow. media. Yeah. So we like a lot of my 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 generation, um, because diversity is more of a thing now, but growing up it was just on TV, wow. the only people we could identify with growing up, especially in an urban setting, were black people. Wow. And so a lot of my generation have identity crisis because they think that they, they see themselves more as like American, you know, mm-hmm. especially black people than their ethnic culture, which is hilarious. And it's something I had to deal with growing up too, is like, I'm actually have my own ethnic culture and a lot of, especially my faith journey has been embracing the culture my parents come from rather than the so-called urban American culture that I was surrounded by growing up. But for me, I'm so grateful because it was better than just having, you know, white media and white literature. We studied black um, writers in high school because oh, wow. that was the only people producing stuff that weren't white. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, so you guys don't understand how much you've given to people who weren't white in my generation. I grew up in the 90s. Um, and that's why when BLM happened, even though there were people, you know, having their own say, I was like, I'm totally for it. Because if it wasn't for what I could, you know, um, Black American culture, I would have just been so um, lost you know i had to have because in the media was just so monocultural back in the day so yeah it's really interesting when i meet americans to help white or black or any kind of ethnic americans understand when they come here they see that they're like why are these people acting like americans (laughs) like they're from new zealand that's so interesting so i i wonder because i know like my our experience here obviously because of slavery we were taken from like that our place our place of origin and Mm. stripped of like identity and like a lot of things that we don't know about our roots like i didn't even like there are things about just where i'm from i don't know because you know because of slavery so i'm wondering it sounds like where you are there might be a disconnect between like your culture or your place of origin and like is is it like a sim is it similar in that way because I'm surprised to actually hear that like you know like the identity crisis that you all maybe experience I think it's different because with you guys it's generationally with me it's just one generation removed and it's already yeah yeah so my heart is always you know especially I feel like when black people get uh, judged I'm like if this is my experience and I'm just one generation disconnected from my parents place of origin got it what more is it for black people who one didn't choose my parents chose and two it's like generations and it was systematic and it was intentional the stripping away of language and culture I mean I learned about slavery that they intentionally mixed up different tribes so that they mm. couldn't communicate and so when people judge black Americans, especially during the BLM movement, um, I was just like, you guys are really uneducated and it's really not a conversation we should be a part of because it's, you know, I, th- I believe in communities um, identifying problems and discussing it within ourselves without outsiders coming in and having their, we say in New Zealand, like your 10 cents. <laughs> 
you know so all I could so when that movement was happening I was just like all I can offer is support I don't have an opinion because I don't think I deserve one all I know is that I was very very grateful for black American culture when I was growing up or I would have just been so lost and so it had no sort of self-confidence growing up in an urban setting that was black American culture was huge for us Um, yeah 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 I wish more black people knew that like if we you know we talk what you know our lingo like people are very um confused when they come to New Zealand and see my people because they're like you guys are acting like Americans but you guys what's happening here and I have to explain to my white and black and all other type of Americans that this is the reason why because I grew up in that culture and it was the only sense of identity we could grasp in the surroundings that we had because back in the day diversity wasn't a thing um yeah so I'm very grateful (laughs) and 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 it's it's now that I'm growing especially in my faith that I'm learning to like embrace where my parents come from um you know to say actually this is the reason why it was like that growing up but that's not necessarily who I actually am I I went back to where my parents came from lived there for a year it was really hard because it's a developing country yeah it was everyone didn't think I'd make it a year living there because they know I'm a city girl it's Tonga so it's oh okay yeah so it's one of the Polynesian it's beautiful but it's like they don't have traffic lights um they don't have hot water <laughs> so it really took I, I you know I'm a I'm a big Barack Obama fan so when he, I read his one of his um dreams from my father is one of my favorite books and when he writes about how he went back to Kenya to visit his father's family I was like oh my gosh it's just like Tonga like from the community wow. yeah from the extended family that is new treated as nuclear family to the you know the um, luxuries that aren't there I was like that's like Tonga <laughs> like and I don't have like my parents are both from there so I don't have the excuse that Obama had where he had an American parent and a Kenyan parent and that's another thing that my youth have to struggle with is uh, people don't give them um, the excuse of you know don't let them have the excuse of um well your parents come from two different cultures that's why like we are usually full um, Polynesian, but because we're born and raised in a foreign country, there's a there's a disconnect already, and people don't understand that they think that we're faking because <laughs> we're ashamed or whatever. But it's like no, it's actually like we struggle with the culture and the language. And for me personally, at least, I've learned to love myself through that journey of reconnecting with my place of origin you know my parents place of origin but also acknowledging that I am shaped by the country that I've been born and raised in and loving that as well it's always a a balance right isn't it for sure yeah now that's beautiful I love that you were able to go there for years sounds like like it's kind of like what I wish I had like we don't have that so like I think Mm. we had to create our own culture and I think that's probably why it's so 
um, it's so influential and in and why we embrace it so much is because this is what it's ours. But sometimes I, I do wish like, oh, I wish I could say, hey, I have family here in Africa or, you know, and then I'm a part of this tribe. And, and you know, we were robbed of that opportunity. But um, I'm, it sounds like you had a great experience. So that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah. So you said that you work in um, that you've studied quite a bit and you work in uh in counseling um like what made you want to pursue that as a career choice yeah so i i've always been someone who liked to help others so that was like a no-brainer i'm gonna go into a field where i'm able to help people um i i wasn't planning i did psychology for undergrad for my um bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. and then I was talking to my counselor in college and she recommended that I look at the master's social work program. Mm -hmm. And I literally went home and cried because I was like, she wants me to be a social worker. (laughs) It's like, she doesn't think, but I didn't, you know, at that time it was just like the stigma and I thought social workers didn't make money. And um, I actually looked into the program at University of Michigan and it was exactly what I like everything that I wanted to do the program was speaking to me and so I ended up applying I got in and it's it's honestly I'm like a big advocate for the master of social work program it's an amazing program and it's like it's offered me so many opportunities like in my I've been in the field for like 14 years and I've literally worked in so many different sectors like I've worked in the hospital as a social worker I've worked as a therapist I worked as a counselor now I'm working you know at a university as a uh, a trauma-informed trainer so it has given me the opportunity to just explore so many career paths and so thankful for that oh wow so so you said you you grew up in like uh, and you know and you come from a part of the country where it is like lower socioeconomic like mine um yeah what I know you've talked about your mother being quite like one of the reasons why you feel like you're still being able to make a life that's quite different from maybe the other people that in the area that you come from. Is there anything else like about yourself personally or is it all because of your mother, like good role modeling? Yeah, definitely. Uh, My mom and then church, you know, I think especially in the black community, um, our faith and spirituality. I'm actually writing an article on that now, um, how spirituality is a protective factor and how when you don't have anything, <laughs> you have faith and you have like this, um, this hope that you can look to outside of yourself and it, it helps decrease depression, dec- decrease chances of like some of the things that others go through who don't maybe have that hope. And so spirituality is definitely a protective factor for a lot of different communities who, um, you know, deal with a lot of adversity. And so for me, that was definitely the case. And also there have been people throughout my life that have come in and have just been like helpers, like people who came in and be mentors. Um, I always had great teachers. I know you're a teacher. My teachers literally would take me under their wing they would if my mom couldn't afford to send me to a conference they would pay for me to go mm-hmm. my middle school dance teacher because I, I went into dance I, I was a middle school dance teacher as well my middle school dance teacher she was like like I don't know I know you said you're familiar with like some of the shows that we watch but like you know the Cosby show um Claire mm-hmm. Huxley she was like Claire Huxtel to me, like, <laughs> ever see a woman be so classy and drive a nice car. And she was like always dressed really nice. And I wanted to be just like her. So 
all of these different people that came in my life, especially in, in the education field, um, really helped push me to get me where I am today. Oh, wow. Um, so, like, you, as you went to university, did you feel out of place at all? Or did you, were you already quite confident in who you were that it wasn't kind of like a, I mean, I found it a culture shock <laughs> coming from my area to go to university. So this is what's so interesting. I was just telling my friend this the other day. I don't remember anyone besides my friends from my from undergrad. Like, I don't remember any of my professors. I don't remember my roommates. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, if I was, if I went into, like, use, like, some type of defense mechanism to, like, protect myself from, like, mm-hmm. the shock or, because it was very different. Like, I grew up in a predominantly African-American community. And if you know, like our, even though segregation is no longer legal, our communities are still very much so segregated. Like mm. blacks live, we live with the, like, it's no, I didn't, I didn't see black, white people. And then when I went to college, my roommates had never seen a black person. Mm. So it was just like this, like you said, culture shock. And I don't think it affected me because I don't remember a lot. I don't remember a lot from undergrad to be completely honest. But I do know that like the African-Americans within our school, we just, we hung out every day. We would meet at one, we would eat together. We would hang out in the dorm, um, in one of the dorms, we would all meet there. And like, that was my community. And that was like my like way of like, navigating this new big place with people who didn't look like me or didn't share my experiences so um so I think that also just like my friends like the my biggest takeaway from I know this sounds bad but like for for undergrad it was the relationships and the community um Mm -hmm. that we created that really helped me get through otherwise I probably would wouldn't have stayed at that particular school yeah it's the similar here like we are, we've never had, we don't have the history of america but uh everything is areas are um you know that are segregated i think we self-segregate and i come from i went to high school was 98 percent polynesian really? so yeah so like and going to one of the top universities in new zealand we survived by our cultural we created yes. these student groups mm-hmm. and in between the lectures we were back at our we had like a place called culture space which is where all of us like <laughs> we came from like- yeah hang out we're like <laughs> chill there we're like and then we just you know brace ourselves to go back into the um the part you know the main parts of university right. we're gonna be the only one like ourselves but um yeah like I think what I always tell young people is uh, they just need to survive, eh? Like, you can't ever feel comfortable when you're... I think that's what I thought about the other day. I think what white people don't understand a lot of the time is um, spaces of power cater to them, you know, um, by ethnic makeup, by um, culture, even though a lot of them believe they don't have a culture. But it just, it just caters to them. So when those of us who especially come from marginalized ethnic groups want to enter those spaces, we really have to get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's, it's hard for me to help them understand that because a fish never knows when it's in water, right? <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what, yeah, like you're studying social work. Is, was there ever a point where you felt like you don't know if it's the right path for you and how did you overcome it, it during that time if you did no I was I'm like one of those people that once I make up my mind it is like 
when I went into uh, undergrad, I said, you know, I'm getting a degree in psychology. And I just, I wasn't going to change it because I didn't want to be in school longer <laughs> than I needed to be. And so once I say I'm going to do something, I just kind of stick to it. So I never, I, I don't, I feel like it was like a, it was divine alignment. Like, you know, I just feel like what I was supposed to be doing, my calling called me and I answered mm -hmm. and I just kind of walked in it and I never had any regrets or like, oh, I should have did this. No, I, I never went, I've never gone through that. Yeah, it's, I'm just going back to what you said about, um, like you're writing a book about spirituality. And my sister and I were talking about that actually just before I started this really? interview. Yeah, we were at our local cafe and um, and she was just like, man, like, because our family's been quite through quite a lot, but people don't realize that. They think that we've had quite plain sailing as a family, but we're still going through stuff. And then my sister's like, I don't know how people do it without a faith. Like, because like we've been at points where it was really like, what the heck how are you gonna make it out of this mm -hmm. as a family and it was just like this we just always had this sense of peace and we put it down to people praying for us our faith and just god's goodness so yeah i really love how you're writing about it and there is there is research in new zealand too that um people like in my area in south auckland um that religious schools tend to perform better yeah students that go to religious schools in my area perform better than the mainstream schools really yeah so i went to a catholic school we're not catholic but we had times like retreat um where the nuns would take us to somewhere and would you know like do group work where we we're telling each other what we like about each other and like yeah so it was, uh, i was just like those were really cool like taking us from this normal stresses of our school day and taking us to like a convent in the middle of a forest or something and we'll just like sing kumbaya songs like <laughs> you know what i mean like just hold hands and like sing and and write little cards of how, what we appreciate about one another. And I think that that's so needed, especially in a community where it's stressful, where there's violence going on, where parents are struggling to make ends meet. To have that as part of your educational program, I can imagine is like, it's really healthy and you need it because, um, you know, young people in general go through a lot of stress. And if you come from an area where parents are struggling to work and to, and there's violence and all that stuff, it's it's just like those moments of of peace and time out, and and spirituality, it, it can only benefit these young people, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um. So, like, you work in, like, um, I don't know. I've had some experience with the foster care system because I have family members from there um I just know that I'm I feel, even though my family have been through things because um like most families there's some stuff that I've been exposed to through foster care that just really shocks me how have you dealt with that part of your work especially mm -hmm. since you're trauma you're part of the whole trauma dealing with the trauma part yeah so um i've worked with i haven't worked directly in the foster care um field so i've worked with youth that have been in foster care mm -hmm. um, even one of the young ladies that i personally kind of took in and mentored she was a neighbor and was in a bad situation with her family and i was able to help her 
um, you know, when Child Protective Services got involved and she ended up in foster care with her siblings. And so um, just the, the seeing how um, that was like an up close and personal situation where I was like in it, my hands were in it. And it was so hard. It was such a long process. It was it was days that we cry, I cry, she cried. Um, um, so I I have seen the the struggle. I've also seen the joy in it as well. Mm. Like, like there's there's good that can come from it as well. So um, yeah, I, I that's like the extent of my experience working in foster care. Yeah, but I mean, like I just feel like you come up as such a lighthearted person and I can imagine, you know, in your career as a social worker, you've been exposed to quite, you Mm. know, the dark side of humanity. How have you dealt with that? Like, yeah. So there's what what I have to struggle with is not becoming desensitized because (laughs) it's so easy when you're hearing stories every single day, like, I remember when I first started working as a school counselor, it was the the school was experiencing a mental health crisis. And I would sometimes be doing 10 suicide assessments with the kids a day. Like it's, and you, it can become a part of your everyday, um, I guess, just routine that you can become desensitized to it. So I have to make sure that that's not happening while also making sure that when I go home, I'm taking care of myself and that's the self care. Um, that I have to turn this off. Sometimes with the kids, it's so hard to turn it off with kids. I would go home and think about my kids all day, all night. I would be thinking about them on the weekend, like, you know. So really making an effort to make sure that when I'm when I'm at work, when I'm with these kids, I'm giving them everything I got, like everything I pour into them, anything that I have to offer that I could possibly do to help change, help improve or help their lives, I'm going to give them. But then I need to go back, go home and replenish and turn it off for a minute. Sometimes I have to cut the phone off, cut my thoughts off and just, if it's like watch a TV, a funny TV show or go, you know, get a massage. Like I think self-care for me is so important. And I've been, especially in the last year, really really focusing on my personal well-being and self-care mm. do you guys have um like psychologists that you're able to see like you know that gets funded for you guys to see because I just don't understand like how a lot of social workers and a lot of people here counselors don't have like the government's not funding you guys to because it's just like you guys are human and it's like you need to be mentally on your game right yeah for sure no if you're insu- i mean if, if you have insurance and your insurance covers it then you can go see a therapist um but the government does not fund it <laughs> oh my goodness yeah um well i think it should be funded because like i said you guys are taking so much on and it's just this constant like you said exposure to and you want to save every child and you're dealing yeah. with whatever the child does is what the child does you guys you know have to there's only so much you can do so I don't know how you guys handle it but yeah self-care I loved how I was gonna ask you how how do you do self-care and you just answered that so that's, <laughs> that's just amazing um so we're just gonna finish up because yeah um that's the zoom that I use is not the top-notch one so if it goes too long it won't download so um my last question as usual for my guests is um what advice do you have for young people who may want to follow in your your career path 
Yeah, so I I say like specifically, I know we didn't get too much into like the restorative practices and like oh yes, <laughs> but I um I started. So when I started working at the school, they sent me for training because the school that I worked at, um, we didn't use any form of like discipline. We use restorative practices that, you know, we, we really embraced that as a school and we worked, we did restorative circles with the students. And then I started using it, you know, with parents and the community. But when I went, when I first went to the first training, I was just so excited because I'm like, I already do this. Like a lot of these things, I didn't have a name for it or I didn't have the research behind it, but it was a part of like who I am. And I always say like, I feel like restorative justice is like restorative practices is like a way of being like you, it's how you engage the world, how you engage others, your perspective and how you interact with people. And I, it was a part of me. So I, and so I say that to say, follow your heart like a lot of times we follow people on social media i know like on tiktok like all the everyone's trying to go into tech because everyone's saying oh you make so much money there's all these tiktok videos about tech and that's great but i say follow your heart because my heart it's like when i work i don't even sometimes feel like i'm at work because it's Mm. it's so enjoyable it's it's a part of like work is a part of me i'm a part of it because i'm doing what's in what's my what's in my heart and i'm following like my calling in life and so i would say if you love helping people if you love restoration you love seeing people communicate better and get along then this is the way to go and just follow it. And I feel like the everything will align and um, you'll, you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned that the restorative justice um, aspect of your job. And if we could just talk about like what, like you actually have researched it and you were commenting on how you admire the way that New Zealand is. Mm-hmm. So can you just explain like how you came across? Cause I was shocked that you knew New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I research everything. So once I learned about restorative practices and we were using it in the school, I just started doing research and I, Every, everything was leading me to New Zealand and I really like how you all are kind of leading the way in this and I, I loved how the focus like I think it started with like the youth and wanting to make things more equitable and and good for youth and then also um, the way that you use community groups and that's that's the biggest thing I've taken um, because with restorative justice in America, a lot of people don't know about it. Like, I know it may seem that way, but I usually when I go places, I'm one of the few people who actually knows what it is and how to implement it. And so one thing I saw was that like in the school specifically, like it, everyone was just trying to focus on like the teachers learning how to do it to do with the, with the students. But what I, when I was reading about what you all are doing in New Zealand, I'm like, guys, we can teach the parents. We can go in the community and train community groups and let them help the schools. And so that's what I've been, that's the biggest thing I've taken away from it. Like I'm back in Detroit now and I I teach it to churches. I want parents to learn how to do it. Like you don't have to have a degree. That's the great thing about it. Like this has been around for years. Like, you know, indigenous people used it. And so I got that and I pulled that from New Zealand. And so I'm, I I want to come to New Zealand and learn from you. Oh, also. yes, please come. I'll take you around. 
<laughs> no, please I come. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's the thing is, but I mean, when you're comparing America and New Zealand, the justice system has a different history too, right? It's way more dark in America than in the, I mean, it's still bad in New Zealand, um, but it, the history, but um, yeah, I would imagine. But I think, yeah, like what you said, I'm all about community. I'm all about community, uh, identifying your problems and coming up with solutions. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that people outside the community can't help, but if we want to get transform transformative change, um, generational change, it has to come from the community, from a yeah. community perspective and a community focus. So, yeah, I love what you're doing and I'd be so happy to host you when you come. <laughs> um, yeah, so please do. So I, I think we'll just uh, finish off there. And Adana, I just want to thank you so much. Thank um, you yeah, I love what you had to say. And I think, you're, yeah, like it's just been really awesome talking to you and and I hope um, our listeners have learned a lot. And uh, please join me on my next episode of You Talk Too Much. Talk. Talk.